So this evening we have small groups, and the discussion questions for tonight's small group are based off of this morning's sermon and yesterday's, or sorry, last week's sermon and this morning's sermon. And so if you do not have uh, questions for those, uh, if you would just uh, slip up your hand and uh, the ushers will come down and make sure that you have a copy. They were on the table as you came in. They were also emailed, emailed out earlier this week, but if you'd like to write them down, we'll give a minute just to make sure uh, everyone has a copy of those. And then... Uh, as you are, um, as we're, we're wait, waiting to make sure everyone has a copy, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. Uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we're working in our second section of this, uh, our second study of this passage, verses uh, 13 to verse 18. So let's read this passage together, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue with our study this morning. James chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse number 13. Who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Our Father, we need the wisdom that this passage addresses and and explains. Our lives are often so dominated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and the result is chaos and conflict and every vile and evil practice. But Lord, we learn here this morning that the wisdom that you give, it is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason, impartial, sincere, full of mercy and good fruits, and what comes from that is a harvest of righteousness. So, Lord, we need this passage this morning because we face struggles in our marriages and we face struggles in our uh, families and in our uh, church relationships and work relationships, and, and our lives need to be dominated by the wisdom that you give, not the wisdom that, that seems right to man, but, but the end is, is, is one of sin and chaos. But, Lord, we need the wisdom that you give that produces righteousness and peace and harmony so that we can be a testimony to the cause of Christ and to the goodness that you have shown in him. So thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to study. We would ask your help this morning that that the passage would come alive for us, would sink deep in our hearts, and that these truths would, would be the culture of our churches, of our families, and of the way we live. And we can only do that by your grace and your help. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we find ourselves uh, in the middle of James chapter 3, 13 to 18, that particular paragraph right there, discussing the topic of wisdom, uh, contrasting the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. And we, we've noted that as we've contrasted these things and as we looked at the wisdom from below last week, these, these are direct contrasts in, in three ways. Okay, so the, the source of wisdom is different here. One wisdom is from above, the other wisdom is from below. Uh, So the source is different, but the characteristics are also different. Uh, One is characterized by 
bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, as we see there in verse 14. While we see in verse 17 that the characteristics of wisdom from above are are purity, peace, gentleness, and openness to reason, etc. And then we see, thirdly, that the the end result of these wisdoms is different as well. So, uh, wisdom from below results in disorder and every vile practice. And wisdom from above, as we see in verse 18, produces a harvest of righteousness. Now, we've already noted as we walked into this passage in verse 13 that when we're talking about this biblical concept of wisdom, wisdom in Scripture is not what we typically think in our day and age today. Wisdom is not, we don't think of wisdom, wisdom in Scripture is not defined in terms of of gifted intellect or advanced degrees or extensive education. In Scriptures, what we see is that wisdom is moral, not intellectual. It's defined by our obedience. And so when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says these words, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who has built his house on a rock. And whoever hears my words and does not do them is like a foolish person who builds his house on the sand. So wisdom, according to Jesus, is is not that which is connected to intellect or, or gifted abilities in that regard. But wisdom is about following and obeying the commands of, of Christ. And so as James defines wisdom here, he does it in the same way as we noted in verse 13. Because he asks the question in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he, he uses this, this, he answers the question the same way that all the authors of Scripture use it, whether it's Solomon or any other author writing about wisdom. He says this, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of, of wisdom. So when we talk about biblical wisdom, it's about living it out and fleshing it out in in ways of obedience to our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we walk through this passage, we should be asking ourselves, what kind of wisdom marks my life? What kind of of characteristics do I demonstrate? Do I demonstrate the wisdom of of this world? Do I demonstrate the wisdom that God gives? And what will be the end result of, of such wisdom? Will, will the wisdom that I practice result in a harvest of righteousness, or will it be chaos and, and every form of evil? Now, one thing I want to note before we begin our study this morning is that this passage here, verses 13 to, to 18, it's talking about wisdom in general, but, but specifically, it seems to be addressing the, the concept of wisdom for our everyday interpersonal relationships, and the reason I say that is, is really two reasons. Number one, this passage is bookended by relationship-type texts. Okay, so the, the passage that comes before it is about relationships. The passage that comes after it is about relationships. So before it, uh, James, in James 3, James is addressing the destructive power of the tongue. And he mentions the fact that it's full of, of deadly poison, that, and that with it, we, we bless the Lord and we curse other people who are made in the image of God. The tongue has the power to ruin relationships or it has the power to to build our brothers and sisters in Christ up. And so James says what we need, really, in order to to have a proper use of our tongue is we need wisdom that comes from above that that is demonstrated in a a controlled use of the tongue. But then the passage after ours, beginning in chapter 4 and verse 1, James goes right from from, from the passage we're studying, right into chapter 4, verse 1, and he, he's asked this question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Or we might say it a different way, if we're going to connect it to the previous passage, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that you lack the wisdom that comes from above, that produces, that produces righteousness and is, is, is characterized by peace and unity and, and love and care? Or do you have the wisdom of of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? And is that not the cause of quarrels among you? So this passage is is, is all about relationships and and interpersonal relationships. And and I think if we we took James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, and we started to make them the culture of our home or the culture of our church or the culture of how we relate to one another— that I think how we would re- relate would, would drastically change those, those, different, those different relationships. Because there's, there's so much wisdom 
that would enable us to, to live in unity with one another, that instead of defaulting to selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, rather we would default to things like peace and being open to reason and, and these other characteristics that are, that are found here. So with these thoughts in mind, let's, let's dive into this passage here in verses 17 and 18. And as we look at these passages, we'll break them up into three ways, much like we did last week. We're going to first look at the source of wisdom from above, the characteristics of wisdom from above, and then the end result of wisdom from above. So let's begin, first of all, with the source of, of wisdom. Now, if you're holding your small group questions, you'll want to focus in specifically on question two for, for this section of our sermon as we consider the source of wisdom from above. Okay, so as we begin, I want to make this observation about this passage. And this observation is, is subtle, but I think it's important as we, as we unpack this passage. Okay? As we talk about the source um, of, of, of wisdom, okay, so, the, so the, the characteristics of heavenly wisdom are found in verses 17 and 18. Okay, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. And they are exactly that. They are, they are characteristics. They're characteristics of, of, of heavenly wisdom. And in a study like this, it can be easy for us to, to, to think in, in this way, to think, well, you know, I don't have the characteristics of wisdom. I don't have gentleness. I don't, I'm not open to reason. And so I just need to, to add these things to my, my life. But that's not really James' point in, in this particular passage. Okay? In this particular passage, James' point is not so much to, to say these are virtues you need to add to your life, but what he's saying is if you have wisdom, if you already possess the wisdom from above, then these are the virtues that should be flowing from your life already. I want you to think about verses 13 to 18 as being very similar to Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, which is the famous passage we know as the fruit of the Spirit. And in that passage, Paul's point is not so much to say that you, you should start being more loving or more self-controlled or more gentle, but his, his, his main point is to say, if a person possesses the Holy Spirit, then these are the fruits that will flow from your, your life. Now, now, why is this significant? Why is this particular distinction, it's a slight distinction that I'm making this morning, why is this an important point for us? Well, as I said, it's, it's because as we look at our life, and we study a passage like this, and, and we realize, you know what, I don't have gentleness, or I don't have the, the mercy or the kindness that I should have for others. And we think the solution is to then think, well, I, I just need to be a little more gentle, or I need to be a little more open to reason. And, and that, that may be true on some level. But the, the, the ultimate solution is to ask this question, okay, why is it that I don't possess gentleness? Or why is it that I'm not open to reason? And what does it say about my relationship with God if I lack these qualities? That I don't have the wisdom from above. So if we find ourselves studying this passage and we we find ourselves lacking these qualities, the first response is not to just start adding these qualities to our life. The first response is to go back to the source of wisdom. Right? Because in James chapter 1, when they need wisdom for trials, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generally. And this would be similar to this passage. If anyone lacks the gentleness or the open to reason or the mercy, the solution is not first to just start adding these qualities to our life, but to go to the source, to God himself, to receive wisdom that enables us to walk in in kindness and care for others. I think an illustration that's helpful for us is that of, of two different trees. We've used this illustration before, but, but a lot of times we think about our sanctification in terms of like a, a, a Christmas tree, okay? And we think of these qualities as being ornaments. So I don't have these qualities, so I need to just start hanging them on my life. But the problem is, all it does is decorate the tree. It doesn't, it doesn't bring any life to the tree, but the, the illustration that the scriptures use is, is one of fruit, that if we're vitally connected to a, a source of life, then these things should naturally flow from us. 
So our solution here is not to just start hanging gentleness on our life, but rather to go back to, to the source of all these things and say, God, these qualities are lacking because I'm not relating properly to you. And I need you to work in my life so that these are produced in, in my life. Now, practically speaking, as, as I counsel people from time to time, I often make a mistake in thinking that what people need is better advice. Okay? As much as I, I study, as much as I read on sanctification, I, I still fall into the same trap that maybe all of us fall into in thinking that just what we need is a little more gentleness, a little more kindness, a little more tenderness, and our relationships will be better. But there's a reason we lack gentleness. And there's a reason we lack kindness and tenderness. It's because we're not properly relating to God. So in my counsel, it's, it's, it's sometimes I'm like, well, okay, well, here's what you need to do. You need to do this or you need to do that. And it's simple as just giving, giving advice as, as if you're like changing your oil. You just follow your steps and you'll do that. But that's not how the spiritual life works, right? If it was, it might be a lot easier to, to do. But the spiritual life works in this way, that we get these qualities only as we properly relate to God. So this morning I want us to, to see that, that, that as we look at this, we, we don't just sort of skip over the source of wisdom in order to get to the characteristics of wisdom. The source of wisdom is God, and if we're going to receive wisdom, we, we go to God. Now, to be clear, to be clear, the Scriptures do command us to add virtue to our faith, right? And this was the Scripture reading we read here, 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay? The Scriptures never command us to do something without also equipping us with the power to do so. So in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, we read these words, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. But just two verses prior to that, we read this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the reason we can add virtue to our life is because His divine power has already granted us the ability to draw on His strength to add these qualities to our life. So wherever the believer is commanded to obey, he is also equipped to do so through God's gracious work in his life. The Scriptures never discourage us from making every effort, but they do discourage us from making every effort in our own strength without relying on the strength and grace of the Lord. So as we consider this this morning, okay, let us not walk through this passage and think, well, I just need to add gentleness and add an ability to be open to reason. But rather, as we think about these qualities presented, I want us to ask this question, do these, do these qualities characterize me? And if they don't, what does it say about my relationship to the source of wisdom? Okay, so as we consider this passage and we consider the source, he says in verse 17 that it is wisdom from above. Now, just very simply here, the terms heaven or above are often just words used interchangeably with, with God. So you remember the prodigal son. He comes to his senses and he tells his father this, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And when he says he sinned against heaven, what is he saying? Well, he sinned against God. And it's that same sense in which he says, this is wisdom from above. It's not just like wisdom, you know, that's a little higher than, than he is. This is wisdom from God him, himself. Okay, so, so in this sense, then, James is using this idea of, of wisdom comes from God. That's why it's similar to Proverbs where he says the fear of the Lord or rightly relating to the Lord, is the beginning of, of wisdom. Or as James says in chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will receive these things. Okay, so we begin, first of all, with the source. The source of wisdom is God himself, and we must go to the source of wisdom if we want to see these characteristics in our life. Well, that brings us then now to the bulk of our study in point 2, the characteristics of wisdom. Okay, we see these picked up in verse 17. The characteristics of wisdom are described in verse 17 as these. First, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
All right, let me begin this morning in this section by both encouraging and discouraging you, okay? So on the encouraging side, if you have these qualities from verse 17, you will be equipped to handle the various conflicts of life that, that come your way. And there will be few conflicts where you will not be able to breathe God's grace into the situation if, if these characteristics are yours. Okay, that's encouraging, right? Right. So Lord gives us these and equips us to, to handle difficult situations. Now for the discouraging part. You can possess all the qualities of verse 17 and still not be able to live conflict-free because conflict is inevitable. All right? You can have these qualities perfectly and you will not be able to escape as much as you want be able to escape conflict. You might say they're, they're like taxes, right? They're, they're, they're inescapable. And when you think you've escaped them, they catch up to you with interest and penalties, right? So this is how conflicts work. So that's, it's, it's encouraging because we know we're equipped to handle the conflicts we face, but discouraging in a sense that we, we know we won't escape conflict. But conflict is not necessarily bad, okay? Conflict provides us with opportunities to please the Lord. Conflicts provide us with opportunities to strengthen our relationships. And so maybe there's a fallout between you and another person. But when we resolve those conflicts biblically, we can actually come back from those conflicts stronger because we've dealt with them according to the wisdom of Scripture. Conflicts allow us to see things from a different perspective that we might not have seen before. So, so conflicts can bring a lot of good things The problem is when we don't use the biblical wisdom of of Scripture to resolve our conflicts, well, then that's when the trouble comes. So now let's look at these characteristics together, okay? First, the one mentioned in verse 17, the first one's mentioned is, is the word pure, okay? He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. There may be a sense in which this characteristic is the overarching characteristic of the ones to follow, but that's... That's, that's neither here nor there at this point, okay? The word pure means clean and undefiled, free from all vices. Now, most of the time we think about this idea of purity, we're thinking about it in the context of sexual purity. But again, remember, this is talking about more of an interpersonal relationship. And so here, it's probably best to see this word as, as being blameless or innocent or the idea of being above reproach, okay? So, so the wisdom that's from above is first marked by a blamelessness or an innocence or, or being above reproach, okay? So the idea of, of being innocent in your relationships is not that you're perfect or without sin, but that you try as best you can to live with pure motives and pure actions with one another. Because when we don't live with, with pure actions and motives, then we're not in a position to make peace. Okay, but if you, if you live with a clean conscience before the Lord and you have a conflict with somebody, you know in your heart that you've, you've tried to honor the Lord in all things that you've done. Even if you haven't, you can easily make that up because you know that's typically your, your, the way in which you operate. But if you find yourself not living a pure or innocent life, then you always are on the defensive and not willing to resolve the conflicts that, that you face. So just as an illustration, I remember back to high school, not leading a very blameless or innocent life and often getting in trouble with uh, my teachers or the authorities in in school. So occasionally I'd get this statement like, Joey, I'd like to talk to you after class. And you know that because you you know that feeling like during class and you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking about all the things that it might possibly be, okay? And you're hoping that they don't ask you, do you know why I'm talking to you? Because you're like... Well, I don't know. Uh, let's see, multiple choice. So, so like, you get, in those, uh, you get in those situations, and I, I remember thinking, like, well, I hope it's not about the snow, or I hope, I hope it is about the snowball that hit Tiffany while she was driving her car, you know, because that wasn't me. It was actually my brother, right? Warm March day, she's driving out of the parking lot, but there's still snowballs, and they, they're good, and right through her open window in the face 
while she's driving, okay? So that, that wasn't me. I could, I could easily, you know, be called onto the carpet for that one. But if it was, if it was other issues, well, then that might have been me, you know? So, so you, have this, you have this feeling like, oh, I hope there's no addressing or accountability addressing of this conflict because I'm not living an innocent or blameless life. Okay, so James says, if, if, you, if you're marked by heavenly wisdom, then there is a sense of blamelessness that comes with that, which enables you to be in a position to be at peace with one another. Right, one of my favorite Proverbs is, is 28.1, and it says this, the wicked flee when no one pursues them. Now just think about that, right? So they don't live with a sense of innocence. And so they find themselves always looking over their shoulder as if someone's going to come after them or call them into question for their actions. The proverb goes on to say this, the wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why? Because they live with a pure conscience before the Lord and seek to do right by him. Okay, so when we talk about wisdom from above, it's, it's first characterized by this pure and innocent living. And if this is, if this is the, the characteristic of our life, then we really have little to fear when it, comes with, to, to, when it comes to conflicts with other brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, the second characteristic he mentions is that of being peaceable. Okay? He says it's first pure and then peaceable. The word describes someone, and I like this, I like this idea, the word describes someone who is ready for peace. Now, we all know people who are always ready for a fight, right? If I say that, you can picture certain people in your mind, whether it's, a, whether it's a, an actual fight or, or whether it's some sort of argument. These people are always ready to engage in the conflict. I, I like the way the New American Standard uses this word. It uses the word... Uh, to describe a person who's always ready for a fight, they use this word pugnacious. And it's one of those words that, that we don't use a lot, but it's like you get the picture, like the sound of the word or the picture of the word describes this individual who is always ready for a fight. The pugnacious person is not a peacemaker, but they are a peace breaker. If conflict is a nail, then they view themselves as the hammer. They're ready to to hammer things out. But interestingly enough, peace breakers are not the only ones who threaten genuine peace. On the other extreme, we have peace fakers. And peace fakers are those who are willing to overlook problems and even overlook sin in order to keep the peace and avoid conflict. The story is told of a couple who celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And someone asked the gentleman the secret to marital bliss, and he said this. Well, he said, when my wife and I first got married, we had an agreement. It went like this. When she was bothered by something, she would just tell me and get it off her chest. And when I was mad about something, I was able to take a long walk. I suppose you could attribute our happy marriage to the fact that I have largely led an outdoor life. Now, there are times when a long walk is probably a good thing, okay, and necessary. But James is not advocating a type of peace that ignores conflict or ignores sin. The person who possesses the wisdom from above knows that there is a peace on the other side of of conflict that is necessary. Okay, it means taking a biblical approach to conflict, using the biblical wisdom to work things out because the end goal is, is peace. And so the, the person who is, 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 has biblical wisdom is the person who is ready for peace and equipped to make peace in these situations. Okay, just imagine how your relationships would go if you were ready at all times for peace with one another. I mean, we're always ready to respond with a sharp word, right? Ready to correct, ready to put someone else in their place. But imagine if the posture of our heart was one of ready for peace. The next word he says here is the word gentle, right, in verse 17. It's first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, okay? This gentleness, it it describes someone who is free 
of harshness in dealing with other people. It's, it's someone who takes the feelings of others into consideration in dealing with them, which is why the NIV translates this word considerate. Okay? We catch a glimpse of this in, in maybe other passages that describe this type of uh, spirit. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, and what? Do not be harsh with them. On the contrary, he describes his ministry among the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2.7. I think it might be 1 Thessalonians 2.7, though. Uh, But we were gentle among you, he says, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's the the perfect picture of, of gentleness, is it not? The picture of how a mother takes care of her child. Okay, you see videos of of dads throwing their children as high in the air as they can and, and catching them, right? And moms are often, the expression on their face is one of fear and concern. You don't see videos of moms throwing their kids as high in the air as they possibly can. Dads, yes, moms, no, because moms are a little more gentle and a little more careful when it comes to their relationship with their children, okay? And it's this gentleness that is to characterize our relationships with one another, a tenderness toward one another. Now, I think in, in exercising this type of gentleness toward one another, the, the, the key is to remember how similar we are to the other person. So, for example, if we're frustrated by someone else's sin or we're frustrated by decisions that they make, we often take a self-righteous posture and think, I would never do that. Or how could they make such a foolish decision? And we fail to remember that, no, apart from the grace of God, that's me in that situation, right? So I'll just read for you a familiar passage that addresses this. And it's from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. But listen to what it says. We're familiar with the first part, but not necessarily the last part. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keeping watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Okay? Now we've got the, hey, if someone's at fault, we need to call them out and, and call them back to the way. But notice the two things that are said. It says you should restore him, and it says this, in a spirit of gentleness. And then it says this, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, so the way in which we interact with others in a, in a gentle way, if, it's, if, if, if we keep this kind of passage in mind, that, hey, this could be us. We could be tempted to in the same way. It enables us to approach one another in, in a spirit of gentleness and help us to avoid this sort of self-righteous pride that often causes us to deal with people in an impatient way. Okay, so back to James chapter 3. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. And then the next one he says is it is open to reason. Open to reason. Now, there are a number of translations that translate this phrase in different ways. Okay? Uh, The King James says that this type of person is easy to be entreated, which has a certain word picture, right? Because when you're entreating someone, what are you doing? You're, You're asking them to consider changing their mind. And this type of person is easy to be entreated. Or it's easy to, for them to change their mind in, in circumstances. Okay, the New American Standard uses this word, they are reasonable. Okay, you might say to someone, please be reasonable. Be willing to see things from a different perspective, right? That's what a reasonable person is. They're, they're, they're fair, they're balanced in their approach, and they're, they're, they're willing to see things from, from another's perspective. The New King James says of this, this idea of open to reason, uh, they describe it as being someone who is, being, who is, who is willing to yield. Okay? It pictures a person uh, whose willingness to, to bend their will if presented with a better way. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln when, in order to please another politician, he issued a, a command to transfer a certain regiments. 
And when the Secretary of War, uh, Edwin Stanton, received the order, he refused to carry it out, saying the president was a fool. Okay, but when, Link, when, when, when Lincoln was told this, this is Lincoln's reply. If Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be. For here is, he is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. And when they talked, Lincoln realized this was a better way. And a teachable spirit, having a teachable spirit, he was open to, uh, to, to diffuse the conflict by being able to, to, to change his mind on the matter. Now, how many of us are, are in a position where we are open to reason? Or we have the humility to be open to reason, right? If we're, Link, if we're in Lincoln's shoes, we, some, many of us might not be humble enough. Our response would be to, to flex our muscles, to demonstrate our authority. Even if we're wrong in the situation, it's, it's better to be wrong and stubborn than it is to change our mind, okay? So we would, we would sort of harden up and not be open to this type of, of reason. But the person who has biblical wisdom is open to seeing things from a different perspective, open to having their mind changed. One author puts it this way, it's one thing to know your mind on a matter, but it is quite another thing to have your mind made up on a matter. Right, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Or as James says, the wise man is open to reason. Now, if sometimes I think with these terms, if we just flipped it and, and, and stated it the opposite way, we would think, no, we don't want to be that type of person, right? So would you want to be described as a person who is closed to reason? Well, nobody wants to be that type of person, but how often are we in our pride closed to reason because we're stubborn and, and arrogant? But the person who is marked by wisdom from above has the humility to be open to reason. Now, moving on, we're coming to our next quality, the next two qualities really together, full of mercy and good fruits. Okay, so wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, and full of mercy and good fruits. And I put these two together because the word full sort of encapsulates both of them, full of both mercy and good fruits. Okay, so mercy... Just in a helpful clarification, mercy and grace uh, are similar in their ideas, but they're, but they're somewhat different in, in some of their nuances. Grace often carries the idea of, of kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it. But mercy, on the other hand, is, is similar but a little bit different. It is withholding punishment from someone who does deserve it. So when God is merciful to us, he does not treat us as our sins deserve, okay? Now, in the same way, if we are to be merciful for others, to others, we do not treat them with contempt even when we think they deserve it because of how they have treated us, okay? Often in our relationships, we, we think of things in terms of, of a scale, and it's, it's just amazing to watch this play out with a three-year-old and a four-year-old. Because if, if one hits the other, then it's, you have to come back with the same amount of, of vengeance to, to level the, the playing field. Now, the only difference between a three-year-old and a four-year-old and, and us is we're more mature in the way we express it, but we have the same temptations to, to sort of level the playing field, right? So our thought is if someone has done wrong to us, then we need to do wrong to them in, in return so that that person can get what's coming to them. But this is not the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom is full of mercy, not revenge. It's full of mercy. Instead, we, we think of what Romans 12 says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. Now, I want you to notice something about this, this phrase. It doesn't say that the person who has biblical wisdom shows one or two acts of mercy on occasion. That's not how it's described here. It's described of being full of mercy. As in the natural response and, and the frequent response is to be merciful to those around us. He goes on to say this, they're full of mercy and good fruit. 
which shouldn't surprise us at all because James is, is, is always about good works in his, in his writings. So you get to James chapter 2 and verse, verse 14. And someone, someone comes their way and they're cold and they're, they're, they're destitute and they, they don't have clothing. And you say, well, go and be warmed and be filled. James is like, that, that does nothing. Okay? What we need is good works or good fruit. That, that demonstrates the genuineness of, of your faith. And so James is not simply saying, well, mercy is, 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 is good enough, but mercy and good fruit are tied together because it produces good fruit in the life of, of the believer. Okay, lastly, we see two more, and we'll finish with these two. Okay, brings the last two characteristics, and, and these last two characteristics are really stated as negative. Everything else is positive pure, peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. But then the, the way these are translated doesn't pick it up as, as much in the, in the ESV, but, but what, what is being said here is, is that the last two phrases, they are not partial. Okay, heaven, wisdom from, from above is, is not partial, and it is not hypocritical. Okay, so impartial is the idea of making distinctions. So we're not just gentle with people that we like. And we're not just open to reason with people we respect, but rather we're impartial in the way we, we care and interact with one another. Okay? So we're, 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 we're merciful and gracious to all without distinction. Okay, last week we talked about, we talked about those who are, are driven by selfish ambition and they see people as, as being vehicles or obstacles Okay, so you're either a vehicle for me getting what I want or you're an obstacle in the way of what I want. And depending on which, how I see you, well, then that, that will describe how I, that will, that will impact how I, how I interact with you. Okay, so in James chapter 2, James condemns them for this type of impartiality. A, a rich man comes into their assembly and they're like, oh, this guy makes us, we can get something from this guy or we can feel better about ourselves. So they say to the rich guy, you sit here in a good place. Okay? He's a vehicle because he can do something for them. And a poor guy comes in, and they say, well, you stand over there, or you sit at our feet, or whatever. You, just, you, you find your own seat because you can really do nothing for us. You're just sort of an obstacle in the way of us feeling better about ourselves or, or accomplishing something. Okay? This is the way of a, of a pride person. It's, it's an impartial, or it's a, it's a partial way. But, but, but what James is writing here says, the person who has wisdom from above is not partial but it is gracious to all, understanding all are made in the image of God, and they're kind and gracious with all. And he goes on lastly then to say that they are also sincere. Okay? Or the phrase, if we were translated literally, is not hypocritical. Okay? Now, hypocrisy is the, comes from this idea of, of wearing a mask, which was the, which was the act of the, the, the described those who who acted in plays in, in, in ancient days, or they pretended to be someone that they, they were not for the sake of entertainment. And this became the, the term for someone who was, who was hypocritical, that they were playing a different role than they, than they were in, in real life. And when you do that in relationships, we say that the person is not sincere. Right? We've all interacted with people and felt like, I just did not feel sincere. Right? They asked how I was doing, but they really didn't seem to care how I was doing because they were just putting on some sort of show. Now, wisdom from above does not have that type of hypocritical insincerity. But, but wisdom from above, comes for, it, 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 it allows a person to be characterized by genuine care and concern for others. No faking, but genuine care and concern. Okay, so these are the characteristics. These are the characteristics. It's, it's purity, then peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, before we get to the last section, stop and ask yourself this question. Do these characteristics mark my life? Or, as we're going to see in the small group questions tonight, which one of these characteristics least marks my life, and where do I see this showing up in my relationships with others. Okay, so, so, so where do we lack these particular qualities? Remember, the solution is not then to just start adding those qualities, but the solution is to go back to the source of wisdom and to say, Lord, 
what is it about my relationship with you that makes me lack these particular qualities? And, and Lord, please give me the wisdom to demonstrate these in my life. Now, this leads us thirdly and lastly to the result of wisdom. Okay, and pick, pick up with me in verse 18 where we see this. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, right? So he's saying wisdom from above. Okay, that's the source. It's characterized by purity, peaceableness, gentleness, open to reason, etc. And the result will be this, verse 18, a harvest of righteousness. Now, the, the point is clear here. But the wording, I think, is backwards in verse 18. It's kind of like if you've ever seen Star Wars and you listen to the way that Yoda speaks, right? He always says something like, um, I, I can't even do Yoda because I'm not even a Star Wars person, but you understand, you understand what, I, what I'm saying, right? I think you do if, if you know Yoda. If not, you can, you can go look it up, right? But that's the way James' words are here a little bit. He's like, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We would say... If you sow in peace, you're going to reap a harvest of, of righteousness. And that's what's being said here, okay? If we breathe peace into our relationships, then the harvest is going to be one of, of righteousness. Now, notice the contrast between this verse and verse 16. Verse 16 is, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice, right? So if you're constantly sowing jealousy and selfish ambition in, in your relationships, then what's going to come from that in the long term is disorder and every vile practice. But on the contrary, in verse 18, if you're sowing these characteristics of of, of purity and peaceableness and, and, and open to reason and, and mercy and good fruits and impartiality and sincerity, if those are the things you're sowing, then what the long-term crop is going to be is that of righteousness. We were discussing these particular concepts this past week in, in staff meeting, and Pastor Mike said, oh, I remember back to health class or in, in, in high school, and they told us if you, if you, how you take care of your body now will determine how much you enjoy life in 10 years. It's like, that's a scary thought, right? So, uh, so but he's, he's saying, he was saying that, that if you, what, what, you're, what you're sowing now, you will, you will reap in, in the future. Okay, and it's this idea here that, that, we're always in the process of, of sowing in relationships. We're always in the process of, 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 of sowing some sort of crop. And it's sort of we're always in the process of, of reaping a harvest of what we've sown previously. So if we want to enjoy our marriage and we want to enjoy our relationship with our family, we want to enjoy our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it comes back to, well, what kind of seeds are we sowing? Because if we're sowing selfish ambition, if we're sowing jealousy and these other characteristics, these other works of the flesh, if we're sowing those things, it's going to end up in disorder and vile practices. But if we are sowing these characteristics of peace and reasonableness, the harvest is going to be righteousness. You know, if we were to look at our lives right now, I would ask this question. What kind of harvest are you reaping now from seeds you've sown in the past. If you find yourself like, man, my relationships are just chaos. And everywhere I look, there's conflict. And everywhere I look, there's trouble. You might come back to this question. Well, what, am, what have I sown? What kinds of things have I, have I, have I been sowing and, and, and investing in these relationships that's causing me to end up in this particular spot? But if you find yourself that your, your relationships are, are, are marked by, by righteousness and, and peace, it's probably because you sowed in peace. Now, we, we, like, we like quick results, do we not? Right? We're sort of a drive-through society. We don't want to wait for things. 
But sometimes in investing in our relationships with peace takes a lot of work. It takes effort to go through the necessary peacemaking to, to see resolution between us and an, another person, another brother and sister in Christ. And so that's why it's probably helpful to, to, to work backwards, okay? Often if we work backwards, we can make better decisions in the present. Okay, so if, here's, if, if this is what I want, okay, if I want the end result of all these things, to, my relationships to be righteousness, then I need to work backward from that, okay? So, so what am I sowing? Am I sowing seeds of peace? And if I'm not, then we've got to go further back. Well, what is my relationship to the source of heavenly wisdom, right? So it's not simply, well, I'm not sowing peace, so I need to start sowing peace, but it's deeper than that. It's what is it about the condition of my heart and my relationship with God that, that I'm not sowing these seeds of peace. So that's why it's, first of all, understand, we've got to come back to the fountain of wisdom, the source of all wisdom, who is God. God produces in us, with our responsible participation, he produces in us these characteristics and when we sow in these things, the end result is, is a harvest of righteousness. So this is a helpful study, right? As I said at the beginning, if this marks the culture of our relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendships, whether it's family, whether it's church, if this marks the culture of our relationships, then I think we'll, we'll see much better fruit than if we sow seeds of selfish ambition and jealousy. All right, so let's get back to work, drawing from the source that, that, uh, that is heavenly wisdom so that we can sow in peace and reap righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the wisdom of your word because sometimes we find ourselves in situations and we're not sure how we got here. But then the word just opens up to us and and reveals the condition of our heart and reveals that there's something wrong in our relationship with you. So then there ends up being something wrong in our relationship with others and and sin and disunity is the result. But the good news is, Lord, you give us the grace and the ability to repent so that we just come back, confess our sins to you, draw on your wisdom, sow in peace and reap in righteousness. Lord, none of us is in a, a situation that is, that is beyond repair because as long as, as long as our relationships and people are still alive and the gospel is still powerful, we have the opportunity to see peace breathed into these relationships and, Lord willing, grace and forgiveness and resolution. So, Lord, we're thankful for the hope you give us in Christ, the power of forgiveness, the ability to repent, and the fruit of the Spirit that you produce in our lives so that we can live for you as together as a body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for these things. We ask your blessing on everything that's said in our study. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.